This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello, and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled and Acadia Company. And today I'm joined by John Rossman, who is a business strategist, operator, and expert on digital transformation, leadership, and business reinvention. He has consulted with many great brands, including Novartis, Fidelity Investments, Microsoft, Walmart, and Nordstrom. He served as Senior Innovation Advisor at T-Mobile and Senior Technology Advisor to the Gates Foundation. He's the founder of Rossman Partners, a management consulting team helping clients compete and win in the digital era. He's an operator and builder whose love is diving into business problems and customer needs, designing solutions and business opportunities. He's a former Amazon executive responsible for launching the Amazon Marketplace business in 2002, and he has authored three books, the Amazon Way book series, and has recently launched the Digital Leader newsletter. Welcome to the show, John. Kerry, great to be here. Thanks for that introduction. Yeah, we've been just talking before we hit record that we've been trading emails for a couple of years now trying to set up a conversation and we're finally here. I'm looking forward to digging into your sort of perspective on Amazon in in particular now that you have a few years since publishing your first book of that series and a little bit of time to reflect and see how those principles have shaken out. So The Amazon Way, which was your first book, that came out in 2014 and has been revised twice since then. So I'm curious to hear what's changed over that period since you first published the first edition. Yeah, so the Amazon Way, more or less kind of my story at Amazon and the leadership principles and what others can take from you know, thinking about leadership principles, you know, the key thing that's changed relative to the book is I just, I keep finding new compelling, you know, little stories to insert there. Tom Alberg, who was the initial investor in Amazon, was on the board of Amazon for 21 years, wrote a foreword for the book. And I wrote a new preface for the book where I made a suggestion to Amazon that we'll talk about a little bit. And so the book has just been a tremendous gift and project. It really stemmed. I left Amazon in late 2005. The Gates Foundation was a big client of mine. And one of my clients there pulled me into his office. This is like 2012. And he said, you know, I don't think people see the giant that is coming at us. Like we're in Seattle. We see it. I don't think the rest of the world sees it. You do a clever job of taking the little strategies, the little mechanisms from Amazon and inserting them into our work. And I think you ought to write a book. And the smartest thing I did was talk him into being my business partner on the book. And we told this book through the lens of the leadership principle, which I really do think sets the tone from the top of Amazon of what they expect from themselves, how they work, how they see the world, And the key thing I've seen that's changed is working with other companies is understanding 
how principles or tenants are underlying thinking about how we get things done, how that can be an important lever for change. And that's what I work with my clients on is like, how do we make change happen? And principles are a big lever in helping to create common decision-making, common leadership, common culture. And it's a powerful tool that companies Mm. can think through. Yeah, I love that. And so it is the Amazon way is around principles and frameworks and leadership principles specifically. What have you seen in terms of those principles being challenged or disregarded over time? Yeah, well, I mean, in no way has Amazon ever said, or are they perfect? And these are high bar principles that no one or team or organization could ever live up to. But I think it's good to have ambition relative to that area. So in the preface I wrote to Amazon, I actually suggested a new leadership principle. And I was really clear about this. It wasn't a criticism. It was just like, you know, you're no longer the scrappy startup. You're not even a big company. You are like the tone setter Mm. in our country and in many ways kind of globally. I think you need to be thinking about the next 25 years, not the last Mm -hmm. 25 years. And so I wrote a suggested principle to him and it was called the golden rule and I'll read it here. And so I said, treat others as you would like to be treated. Employees, vendors, partners, brands, small companies, competitors, Mm -hmm. press, critics, community, contribute and be in a leading steward of your community. Foster and lobby, not just for your best interests, but for future innovations and competitions, best interests. Conduct yourself both personally and as an organization in a way your mom and your kids would always be proud of. Always. So I released the third edition in June 2021. About two months after that, Amazon revised their leadership principles. They added a 15th and 16th leadership principle, which was about, you know, obligations of being the world's biggest employer Mm -hmm. and work and safety in the workplace. And so they cover kind of the same ground as I had suggested, but they did revise. I'm not saying that I influenced that in any way, but I also can't be proven that I didn't. (laughs) So those I think are, you know, these principles are meant to you know, kind of like a constitution or something like that. They're they're meant to evolve, but evolve slowly. And Mm -hmm. so I think that this really sets the change about Amazon recognizing that, you know, they play a new role, that there are some areas, I think, especially around worker safety that were soft and they need to do better on. And, you know, change at Amazon really does start with the LPs. Yep. Love it. Well, whether you were the direct catalyst or not, that is something to be happy about that your perspective was reflected there. I wrote this book, not for Amazon. I wrote it for others, right? And so the whole spirit of everything I do, my keynotes, my books, my consulting work, it's not about Amazon. It's about what you can take from a company like Amazon to help compete and win in the digital era. And so I wrote that leadership principle also for others, because I really do think that, you know, we, and I think people are seeing this and getting it and acting on it, which is, you know, we can't just shoot for enterprise results. Like we do have to act as a community here. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. I think constraints are a great way to force innovation and we're kind of all in this together. Yeah. 
So conversely, what do you believe to be timeless about Amazon's leadership principles and way of doing business? Yeah, that's a great question. I always think about the underlying spirit or goals of principles like this. And I wrote a new appendix in the book about building your own leadership principles and everything. And so here's what I think is timeless, not just about Amazon's leadership principles, but about kind of any good set of leadership principles. And the first is that what's timeless is I think it's good to always have ambition and optimism about your future. And if you are a company that feels like, oh, our best days may be behind us, you know, what, you know, Bezos would refer to as kind of a day two mindset, then I think that you are at risk and some change is needed. So I think what's timeless about them is that it is always good to have ambition and optimism about your business, about your team and about helping your customers. The second is, is that, as I said, like these principles have high expectations with them. And I think it's good to have high expectations for yourself and for your team and to always be striving better. I don't see how in any way that can be a negative. And I think we always should have right in front of us ways that we are striving to make a better business, a better outcome Mm. and operate better today. And then I think the third thing is timeless is understanding that, you know, leadership is a skill. It's a process. It's not this kind of elusive element that you either have it or you don't have it. And, you know, it's charisma based and everything. It's like, no, it's a process. There's steps. It can be measured. It's about influencing others for a common mission. And anyone can get better at this. And there's different styles or skills of leadership needed at different moments. And so I think understanding that leadership is a skill and a process is timeless and that we should all be working at getting better at that. Yeah, it's great actually to see. I think the leadership principles are extremely inspiring and the diaspora of ex-Amazonians out there who've gone on to do wildly great things and success, You know, whether in retail or other industries as well, and people like yourself who have taken those principles and helped to spread that throughout the business world and nonprofits and government is great. There's a lot that I'm really glad to see these principles shared so broadly because it's what's really innovative about Amazon and the way that they've continually been able to reinvent and not that it's a company without its faults and missteps, but there's so much for the rest of us to learn from that company. Yeah, obviously, I agree completely. It's been kind of (laughs) one of the pillars of how I've gone, you know, to business over the past now almost, well, 18 years since I left Amazon, full 20 years since I started Amazon. Mm. So let's switch gears to back to the retail sector a little bit. Yeah. With, you know, a lot of the brands that we work with at Bobsled, they often feel significant and at the behest of the whims of Amazon's various algorithms. A lot of brands are used to this now, but initially this sort of hands-off-the-wheel approach that Amazon has in a lot of areas of its interactions with sellers and vendors, that was sort of a bristling approach for a lot of executives and not how, because it wasn't how the retail business had been done in earlier years. There's no one to call. You're really kind of like dropping the ocean as a seller or a vendor. 
And so curious from your perspective, historically at least, why has Amazon taken that approach in, in treating its suppliers that way? Yeah. And so again, I'll preface this with in no way is it perfect. And I do think, as I mentioned in that leadership principle, I suggested, I think that there's aspects, especially around kind of brands that they could treasure more. But I would say it's very strategic on Amazon's standpoint that in order to drive to the scale, the economics, the value proposition of the everything store. And when we were designing and launching the marketplace, like the best part of that was we were building, like we knew this wasn't for 10 or 100 or 1,000 or even 10,000 sellers. Like we were thinking about 100,000 sellers, not 2 million, but 100,000 sellers. Well, that put us into a design Mm -hmm. mind that we had to do things very, very different. And we Mm -hmm. knew we were going to be keeping our headcount flat. And so we really built this perspective from the very genesis of the marketplace business. And we didn't intend it to be for everybody, right? It's kind of like a company culture. Like everybody thinks of company cultures like, oh, this is, you know, what bonds us together. It's like company culture helps attract the right talent and helps repel the wrong talent. The same thing about the marketplace. Like our goal was to attract the right types of sellers and partners and to some degree repel those that couldn't meet the high bar expectations that we had. Mm. And so, you know, at this point, Nobody can say they're surprised by what the situation is or what's expected or what it takes and whatnot. And so, you know, I would just say, well, I think, I hope that there are some aspects, especially around brand control and fraud that, you know, in any situation, like Amazon's not unique to this, like needs to be a constant vigilance to. In general, I think it provides an outstanding customer experience and it's enabled scale and reach in competition like no other business model that we've seen. Yeah, that's a great answer and a great perspective. It's not for everyone. It really did challenge the way things were done. And it was, you know, with along the lines of the strategy and the economics of the business from within. And I, <laughs> I think for every, I can certainly understand the frustration from especially larger manufacturers who have their entire supply chain built around a certain way of delivering goods and doing business and that it's a very different sort of dynamic to navigate. At the same time, I was watching some YouTube yesterday and I got served two ads, one after another, pitching, you know, starting an Amazon FBA business. Hey, do you know how much money you're making someone when you shop on Amazon? You should become a Amazon FBA entrepreneur. And, you know, this sort of like, I call it sort of like a get rich quick kind of opportunity that's been pitched the last five, seven years. That is for a certain type of person or company, what Amazon provides in terms of the rails is actually amazing and such a great foundation to start a business. And we have seen great businesses flourish on Amazon, like Anker, for example. So for one company's perspective that, wow, this is so restrictive and I can't talk to anyone and I can't negotiate in the way that I used to, and now I have to figure out how to ship eaches, you know, that's a huge barrier for those brands. And then for other companies, what Amazon provides in terms of a system and 
you know, all of the infrastructure around what they can offer with supply chain, that's actually a huge benefit. So your point about this isn't maybe the way this isn't for everyone is a really, really good point. Great. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, and, you know, in general, you know, complaining is not a strategy, right? Like, and I get this type of feedback and notion all the time. And again, like, no doubt, like at times, I think it can be pretty arbitrary and mistakes have been made. And that was never the intention. But for the vast majority, it's just a highly systematic and mechanized way to reach customers and to compete. And if you can figure out how you adjust to that, like it's an yep. incredible platform, not just for sales, but for, you know, attracting customers and yes. converting those into, you know, longtime brand customers. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, like you said, complaining is not a strategy and it's their playground, their rules. That's what I say. At the same time, because there is so much, Amazon wields so much power in e-commerce and I think we're starting to see a little bit more of this, you know, in terms of regulation and Amazon's sort of, you know, occasional missteps being challenged and all of that. That's a good thing because really their argument has been, well, we're such a tiny percentage of total retail. That's true, but such a huge part of e-commerce and that's sort of where we're going to you know, see more growth over time. So I think there needs to be a balance and you do certainly see some sellers and vendors who have been, you know, treated pretty poorly. But in general, yeah, I agree. Complaining is not a strategy. You're either there or you're not. (laughs) So you mentioned, you know, that's something that you hear about from your clients a lot. What kind of companies that hire you as a consultant Maybe you can talk a little bit about your work with companies to start with and what their kind of top questions or concerns are and if they've changed over time. Yeah, so I I work with companies, primarily kind of mid to large companies on competing and winning in the digital era. And I work in every industry out there. And, you know, what's really changed, I'd say, over the past, you know, really since the pandemic really put the stamp on it, but it was happening even before then was, you know, there is no more holdback, no more hesitation that like, hey, we have to create growth and innovate and change, right? Like that used to be like, I'm not sure we really have to adapt to this. I'm not sure this is really going to happen in our industry and whatnot. But Mm -hmm. now that I don't face anymore and everything. And so, you know, what I work with them on is both, you know, kind of thinking big, like, hey, what should our ambition be? Where do we think the themes in the industry and in our business that we should explore, but then bringing them right back to kind of our controllable inputs? Like, what do we do to take control of the situation? I pull on kind of every lever that's out there from, you know, leadership, culture, strategy, operations and technology to get results. And what I hope I leave behind is not just that, you know, they attain their ambition, but that we actually change the way they go about it. So they're in a better place to continuously think about growth and innovation in their business. Mm-hmm. Do the type of questions you've been asked tend to stay the same or have you noticed some new questions come up? I don't know, even something specific about, you know, the metaverse, for example, that's something I'm interested to hear from you about. Yeah, I don't get too many questions about, you know, the metaverse, get a little bit about you know, kind of crypto and the blockchain in that aspect, 
a lot about how, you know, from a technology standpoint about where we could insert natural language processing, machine learning, other types of AI to create change. But, you know, where they typically have their blinders is understanding that a company is a system. And in -hmm. order to change a system, you have to think about the dynamics that are going on. And I try to break them down into the levers of leadership and culture and strategy and technology, not doing those in isolated moves. And so typically companies break those topics apart and they don't study the situation, what they want to do, how they can go about it in a systems dynamic model, right? Systems thinking. And so that's where I get companies to reflect differently that understanding like, oh, the way you do budgeting actually works directly against creating this culture of innovation that you say you want to build. And I'll bring them some examples of how they do it or how typically kind of those two things work against each other and that you need to have a distinctly different playbook for how you optimize and scale a business versus how you try new things, right? How you innovate and how you you plant young seeds. So those types of observations tend to be new and they're fairly self-apparent. And once you kind of get them like, okay, like, okay, we need to make some change. Now that change isn't always like forming any new habit. You tend to revert pretty easily and pretty quickly. And, you know, the other thing I always reflect on, like I'm an engineer by background, but man, my job is about sometimes changing specific senior leaders and some of the little habits, you know, they may have. And, you know, like one of them is just like kind of sarcasm to some degree, right? Mm. Like making a sarcastic comment about, you know, you tried something and failed and the little snide remark that might be made by a, a senior operator relative to that, well, that just torpedoes the complete culture and anybody with career ambition going, oh, yeah, I want to sign up to be the next leader of an innovative project, right? Those little things really create damage within a company. Yeah. Yep. So, John, I'm curious to hear your perspective on Amazon again once the disruptor and a disruptor in a number of different industries and categories, not just e-commerce. That's right. Do you think that Amazon is now primed for disruption themselves? Well, you know, disruption's a pretty dramatic word, right? It's about rapid change or rapid deterioration and change in business fortunes. I don't think Amazon is at risk of quick disruption. Could they be entering a new phase of growth and overall business dynamics? Like, have they transitioned into the dreaded day two Mm -hmm. category? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But to some degree, like, you know, Bezos forecasted this, right? There was an interview several years ago, and he was asked essentially this question, which is, do you worry about Amazon being disrupted? He sat back and he goes, you know, it's not a question of if, it's a matter of when, and I'm just trying to make it so it's not my lifetime. And so like, this is what happens with companies. You are either going on the offense and leaning into constant reinvention, or you suddenly switch into kind of an optimized mode and then things start 
being as much offense and you start playing a risk and defense oriented game. And I think that's when your risks really start multiplying in terms of, you know, long-term decay. And so I would say maybe relative to Amazon, I'm still highly optimistic Mm. about their future and their fortunes, but you know, the answer is, you know, maybe, you know, I look at the buy with prime feature that they, I don't know if you call it feature or capability that they recently launched. And I think that has the capability of being another massive, you know, wave of innovation and growth and disruption for others in the, you know, let's call it kind of secondary or tertiary e-commerce business, meaning not e-commerce that's happening directly on Amazon, but happening in other networks leveraging Amazon capability. I think that is just a brilliant next move for Amazon in that space. Yep. Yep. I think you're right. That's proven their ability to continually reinvent. So got two rapid fire questions to close with. What have you changed your mind about recently? Gosh, I was thinking about this. And honestly, we kind of mentioned some of these things, but I used to be pretty optimistic about, you know, NFTs and the impact that they could make and kind of the connection to brand and customers and loyalty and things like that. And I'm really scratching my head about crypto and NFTs at Mm. this point about, you know, maybe it's not all it was cracked up to be. And maybe some of the naysayers kind of had it right. And so that's one thing I've been reconsidering my position on where I'd been highly optimistic on them. I didn't bet big on them, but I was optimistic about some of the positive changes they could have. And I'm really wondering if that's going to happen. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. And what are you excited about? You know, my youngest just graduated from college and, you know, I'm optimistic or excited about just kind of leaning into my work and organization and clients even more. So I've got yet another degree of freedom to really pursue the work that I love, which is helping leaders and companies compete and win. That is exciting. That's one way to reframe big change in your life. I'm sure it's bittersweet. (laughs) It is. It is bittersweet for sure. We've had a ton of fun as a family, but all you want is, you know, for your kids to grow up to be healthy and happy and productive. And so, you know, while there is some bitterness to it, like that's all you're looking for. And so we're very fortunate and blessed that, hey, man, that's happening. And so, you know, lean forward, be optimistic. And that's what I'm doing in my business. Love it. And John, where can people follow you and what you're working on? Yeah, so there's a few things. So I've got a newsletter, the Digital Leader newsletter. It's on Substack. You can subscribe for free. The Amazon way at Amazon, paperback, Kindle, Audible edition. And you can find me on LinkedIn. John Rossman is probably the easiest way. Thanks for (laughs) the conversation. You made me think about some things today that I don't always get to think about. Great. Thanks, John. Thanks, Carrie.